Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, August 3rd. Another fantastic weekend for tennis fans as we were treated to so much incredible action across the globe. Events such as the Battle of the Brits, the Eastern European Championships, Match Play 120, Marching On. Of course, it was also playoff weekends for World Team Tennis, and that is going to be the focus of today's podcast as Tennis Channel contributor, returning Cracked Rackets champion Mark Lucero joins the show one last time to cover this wonderful 2020 World Team Tennis season, put a bow on all of the action, recap the fantastic playoff matches, have a little bit of fun with an award show as well. It also feels worth mentioning, we have finally arrived after months of absence, after months of questions, if professional tennis would be able to return during this 2020 calendar year. We finally have our first sanctioned event, the WTA action kicking off in Palermo. Going to be so excited to talk about that action all week long here on the Mini Break Podcast to focus on some, you know, live tennis results that have consequences for these professional tennis players that have rankings points on the line. So again, it's not the normal tennis environment. We don't have tournaments going on across the globe. They're not going on across each and every level, Uh, but certainly we are inching closer and closer back to normalcy and whether that's a good thing or not is certainly something we have discussed quite a bit here over the past few months. Nevertheless, professional tennis is pressing on. That is something we discussed at length, that Palermo event in today's GSP Ace of the Day. So for more coverage on that event, at least today, be sure to go listen to that podcast. And of course, if you aren't, follow along with our GSP Ace of the Day as we try to win money with our friends at DraftKings. You can listen to that again Monday through Friday and Friday every day on the Great Shot podcast feed. Our very own Great Shot podcast co-founder Maxwell Labauer Rothman in Indianapolis this week. He'll be joining me on that show a couple of days as well, so be on the lookout for that. But again, the focus of today's podcast, putting a bow on what was a spectacular world team tennis season. I chat with Coach Lucero about what worked. You know, why were the safety and health protocols put in place able to produce 800 plus negative COVID-19 tests? And, you know, what was it about the players? How were they able to adhere to the safety and health guidelines in ways other events were previously unsuccessful? And what can we learn from the successes from World Team Tennis and apply them to other sanctioned events that we try to get back playing in 2020? Uh, then, of course, as I mentioned, we have a lot of fun talking about this weekend's playoff actions, how the New York Empire ended up as the 2020 World Team Tennis champions. We give out awards such as MVP, All First Team, All Second Team, uh, the Lou Williams Award, most likely 
likely to step out on campus. You can guess who the winner was there. The Cal Ripken Award. Uh, some fun things that you want to hear, but, you know, of course, the reasoning behind those categories as well. But it's always a good time when we have Coach Lucero on the podcast. Of course, the reason we are able to have these mini-break podcasts day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 30 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers by offering a comprehensive selection of fast shipping supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of equipment online, with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse directly to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. Their well-trained staff are also intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of these products, all of these prices, by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. Once you're there, save yourself a little money. By using our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And folks, we know when you order online, it's the shipping fees, the delivery fees that get you. Well, you don't have to worry about that. Free two-day shipping, all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Midwest Sports wanting to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. And you know the deal, folks. Look good, feel good, play good. We're looking good with Midwest sports, but how do we feel good so that we play good? Well, we make sure our nutrition and our fitness is in the right place. Now, I'm not going to lie. This past weekend with Rothman being in town, my nutrition, not in the healthiest place. You're going to hear in this podcast I do with Mark Lucero, a lot of acid reflex. And that's, you know, I suppose more uh, more prevalent on this podcast than I would like. It's something I'm working on, folks, I promise. Uh, but that's because, you know, I've been wolfing down a lot of delicious food. Rothman just has that effect on people. You're going to eat nicer things. That's just the type of person he is. And that's a good thing, by the way. You always want to have that friend in your life, right? You always want that one person who's going to push you to have the best sorts of experiences. And yeah, sometimes spend a little bit more money than you're comfortable doing, but ultimately trying to just get you outside of your comfort zone, having the most sort of fun you can have. Anyways, nutrition, fitness, something that doesn't have to be outside of your comfort zone. That can be something that becomes a day-to-day part of your life. And that's where our friends at Aerobar come in. Whether it's their delicious chocolate chip, delicious cinnamon honey oat uh, Aerobars, it's the only tennis-specific energy bar on the market, more potassium than a banana, and it's just delicious, folks. You're getting the right sort of nutrients, the right sort of ingredients to start your day the right way. Go to aerobar.com, get in on the orders, listening to our episodes of Getting to the Point every Thursday here on the mini break. We've had so many great guests who talk about the importance of nutrition, fitness in the modern game. Uh, the way you can support our friends at Aerobar uh, is by going to their website, aerobar.com. When you're there, use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. And again, it's a nutritious way to start your day. Aerobar.com. The promo code is CRACKED15. All right. With that being said, let's get to my conversation with the one and only Tennis uh, Channel contributor, professional tennis coach, and commentator, returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, Mark Lucero, to recap the 2020 World Team Tennis season.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us on the podcast one last time to put a bow on the 2020 World Team Tennis season. You, of course, know him as a tennis channel contributor, a professional tennis head coach, one of the most handsome men in all of tennis media, and, of course, a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, Mark Lucero. Mark, as always, thank you for coming back. How are you doing today? I'm great. This is my last day, last night at the Greenbrier, so I'm uh, very excited. And, uh, yeah, we got through the season, and... uh... Man, what a great way to finish it. I had that thought today after the final finished, and maybe this is just after, what is it, 130, 140 plus days in uh, quarantine, you start to think about these things. But for everyone at the Greenbrier, because, you know, you have nine plus teams, or you have nine teams, which is 60 plus players, all of the tournament staff, all of the organizers, everyone who's a vested interest in this world team tennis season at the Greenbrier. And now everyone goes their separate ways. And just what is, you know, Monday, Tuesday at the Greenbrier looking like? The nuclear bunker's empty again. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a lot easier to get a tea time for the guests here <laughs> at the hotel. Uh, the tennis courts will be open. The gym will be uh, more accessible for the hotel guests. Um, but, uh, yeah, people are going to be heading their separate ways and then getting ready for the uh, the Western and Southern Open and the, the United States Open. Are you heading to New York with Stevie? Are you sticking around on the East Coast? What's your plan? No, I'm going to be in L.A. Uh, Peter Smith is going to do double duty there with Stevie and uh, Sam Query, and uh, I'll be supporting from back home. No, what you just told me is you're available to come on the podcast. That was a mistake on your part. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that that's great. I'm sure for you it had to have been nice even before we get into and for our listeners. I previewed this in the intro, but we're going to get into a recap of the semifinals and finals. And, boy, what a final it was when World Team Tennis is fun. It is truly exceptional. We'll get into that. We have an award show plan, talk about our MVP ballots, talk about the first team World Team Tennis lineups from this season a couple of other fun categories. But before we get to any of that, it's worth repeating one more time. 800-plus tests, you know, no positive COVID-19 results. That's such a positive result for the tennis community, who, of course, all of us hesitant about an event of this scale returning. And what World Team Tennis, what Carlos Silva and the organization showed is that an event of this magnitude can happen if proper care, proper precautions are taken. And so I guess just to put a bow on that topic, Mark, and it feels, sorry, coach, I'm, we're not on a first name basis, coach, uh, just to put, you know, a bow on that topic. What are your final thoughts? You know, after three weeks on the ground, are you feeling comfortable about the experience? You know, what are your reflections in the immediate aftermath? Yeah, I, I feel great about it, but I think, the biggest, you know, I think there's a couple lessons out of it. One is that it can be done if we do it in a smart way. I think it can be done if everybody who is a part of it accepts and acknowledges the responsibility that's in their hands, that their personal actions and um, their accountability basically is what determines the success of the undertaking. You know, everyone's in it together. And if one person 
messes up, uh, you put everyone else at risk and the event at risk. Uh, so, you know, I think we all, you know, we all were really, I think everyone was hoping that it would work uh, in the, you know, in the time leading up to the event. And I think everyone was really unsure about how it would go and about how, um, you know, how it would look when we were there, when we were here in person. And I think we all kind of trusted, you know, Carlos uh, Silva and his team and Matt Elephant and everybody who was involved that they were going to put the protocols in place to keep us safe. And I think, you know, I think people are feeling the same thing about, um, you know, the USTA and Eric Buderak and the entire team uh, who is getting ready for the US Open. Um, you know, all you can do is look at the plan that's being laid out. And if you believe in the people that are doing it and believe that they're putting, you know, the safety of the players, uh, a, a, you know, as a, as a as the highest priority, um, you know, then, then it can be done. But I think if, you know, if people don't sort of acknowledge their role in it um, or, you know, don't have protocols that inspire confidence, then, you know, then any event that's like that is going to be, you know, subject to the kind of outcomes that we don't want to see in the other sports, you know, like even baseball is having a little bit of trouble right now um, that they're seeing. But yeah, I'm really, you know, I'm beyond happy with how this went. I think it's literally the best possible outcome so far. I think it's, you know, I think we want to get through the next week and just make sure as everyone goes home that, you know, no one has any sort of issues or, or whatever. And then we can sort of pat ourselves, you know, on the back collectively. But right now we're, I think everyone's breathing out an initial sigh of relief. You know, no, certainly no one is going to sleep better tonight, hopefully, than Carlos Silva, who maybe tomorrow, instead of doing a triathlon warm up for his workout, you know, he'll stick to just the biking and swimming. Um, but yeah, I, I think I completely echo your sentiments there. One of the reasons I ask the questions we as a tennis community trying to learn from this event, what went well, what lessons can we take away? And I guess on a side, you know, the protocols being put in place at the U.S. Open for the three week bubble in New York is a conversation for a separate time. Certainly, Eric Buderek is a guy uh, who we know a little bit here at Cracked Rackets as well, and we'll be thinking about every issue to the same extent, you know, obviously put in the same sort of efforts that Carlos Silva and the World Team Tennis Organization did. Um, But you talk about what worked well. Clearly, you know, from a tennis perspective, keeping everyone in one location for three weeks at the Greenbrier was a benefit. But I also think from a safety and health perspective, and They're never going to spend the sort of money like the NBA will because that sort of money doesn't exist in professional tennis to have a place like Disney as the complex. But to keep all of the players at a resort like the Greenbrier where you can go play golf, do all of these different things, and World Team Tennis had sanctioned off all of this various parts to ensure everyone participating in the event stays safe, it just feels like you can't do that in New York, that asking all of these people to stay in one solitary location in a city like Manhattan, it's just never going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we're fortunate that this place is essentially, I mean, we're in the middle of the mountains and Mm. there is a ton of greenery. And just because of the location, you know, it's, we have a bunch of activities, but at the same time, when you're in New York to play the U S open, you have a lot less free time than the players here would have. So, you know, I, I think also to, just yeah like i mean you're right by virtue of the location the geography of new york you know there aren't going to be as many frills or amenities as we had at our fingertips here and this and those are part of the things that made this experience really special you know this season 
Yeah, no, and eventually we're going to get to the Lou Williams Award, most likely to escape the Greenbrier to go get some chicken wings. Uh, spoiler alert, it goes to Danielle Collins. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's certainly it's something to take away as we try and create these environments to ensure the safety of not just the players, but all of the participants in these various ATP, WTA, ITF events trying to come back in 2020. Uh, again, it's too early to pat, uh, you know, the the collective tennis world on the bat and say this as we know this event was 100% a success but through the first three weeks again zero positive tests 800 plus tests administered that's absolutely a win and so you know again I just wanted to ask you how comfortable you were feeling after that but now let's talk about the tennis because the tennis itself this playoff weekend was exceptional and I think ultimately you go back to the podcast we did last week to recap week two head into week three we said the four teams to beat were clearly the Freedoms, uh, Chicago, New York, and then Orlando. Notice how I didn't say the names because I didn't want to screw them up. I know them. It's the Orlando Storm, the Chicago Smash, the New York Empire. Uh, Those were the four teams to beat. They ultimately were the four teams that entered into the playoffs. It was the Freedoms versus the Empire. It was the Smash versus the Storm. And I saw the tweet, Coach. You you go out. I said on Friday's broadcast, the team or Thursday's broadcast, the team to beat would be the New York Empire. They certainly started off the weekend with a notable result knocking off the number one seeded Philadelphia Freedoms, doing it fairly comfortably as well, 22-18. Jack Sock playing all three positions, uh, men's doubles, uh, mixed doubles, and then men's singles for uh, the Empire. Coco Vandeweghe stepping up big in Kim Kleister's absence as well. Your thought on that upset? Obviously, you weren't surprised by it. Yeah, I didn't really think it was an upset. I kind of found, in my mind, the way that Philadelphia had been trending over the course of the season, I felt like I felt like they came out of the gates a little too hot in the beginning of the year. And as the season sort of was winding down, they were sort of coming back to normal, like air quotes normal. They were regressing to the mean, I think, as I said on air. And uh, yeah, I, I felt like New York had his best tennis sort of in front of them. I, I felt like Jack would be very dangerous in the playoffs where, you know, especially if they put him in mixed doubles, you know, he'd be the best player on the court in at least two events. And depending on how the singles went, I think he would be a tough out for Taylor if Jack sort of turned the corner. Uh, and then I thought, you know, I actually made my prediction thinking Kim would be in the lineup and unfortunately she wasn't. But obviously the trade they made getting Coco and Nicole Melikar after after we spoke i believe i can't remember if we talked about it but um yeah i i just i felt like jack sock and kim kleisters would be tough to be in a in a short playoff series Jack Sock on the season plus ends up plus nine in mixed, plus eleven in men's doubles, plus three in singles, plus twenty three in two hundred sixty seven total games played. I believe that leads every man in the field. And I mean, yeah, Coach Jensen made the obvious decision. It's playoff time, crunch time in World Team Tennis. You have the ability to play a player in all three flights uh, that they're able to play. That's the clear decision to make for Jack Sock. And as you mentioned. And he was so good this weekend. I think he went, what, 5-1 and one in his six sets. Uh, always so explosive in doubles, but, you know, a really solid performance for him against Fritz in singles, who I will continue to say as he gets more and more fit. And it's so clear he works as hard 
as anyone on tour. It's quite clear he is going to become the very best version of Taylor Fritz, barring any injuries or anything like that. But the explosion just wasn't there. And I I don't know, what is it about this court? It felt like this court at the Greenbrier, the ball just flew off the ground. Well, Alex, we're also at, we're at 1,800 feet here. So, you know, we got some altitude and the ball is moving. The hard court outside is very bouncy. And and it's a great, it's a great court for Jack. Like there's a little bit of grit to it, uh, but the ball moves through the air fast. It's a little bit like Indian Wells, actually. The ball goes through the air, you know, quickly, but then the court has some bounce to it, and it really—I think it's a really good court for uh, for Jack, and especially, you know, in this team environment when he gets going, when he gets a little more momentum, he's just—he's a great momentum player, and he can ride it. And, and Taylor Fritz actually is also, but uh, Jack is just a little—you know—a little more experienced, I think, at, at doing that. Yeah, and look, we've talked about Jack Sock quite frequently here on our Cracked Rackets podcast. It's an obvious topic because you talk about a guy who reached top 10 in the world in singles, the doubles talent, obvious. He's a two-time, three-time, maybe four-time now Grand Slam champion, Uh, has dealt with so many injuries over the past couple of years, and now at 27 years old, he's 388 in the live rankings as tennis makes its return. I mean, he made that final at the Indian Wells Challenger before play stopped, but you got to see him in person, you know, via television he looked healthy he looked fit the ball exploding off of his racket as well as ever did it feel that way in person because certainly this championship weekend he was pretty clearly the best male player in the field yeah I thought he looked very good the entire tournament actually except for this I mean I saw a little bit the first set he played against Arevalo which you know wasn't great uh but beyond that like I, I thought in Indian Wells that he was starting to turn the corner I actually thought in Del Rey he was starting to turn the corner and then he looked really good in Indian Wells, in my opinion. And then, uh, yeah, here at the Greenbrier, you know, he looked, this is the fittest I've seen. How he was moving well. I thought he was hitting the ball huge. And, uh, you know, he looked like he was, he, he didn't look like a guy ranked, you know, whatever, 388 or whatever it is he said. Yeah. He, no, looked, I, he looked very good. He looked very good. And, yeah, yeah, like he was the best. He's the best player in the court, you know, for, you know, pretty much regardless of who else is out there. Yeah, unless it's Brandon Nakashima, which we'll talk about in a (laughs) second. And so, yeah, in that first semifinal, again, the Empire, they take men's doubles, they take mixed doubles comfortably. Uh, The duo of Sock Van Dewey taking out Fritz and Townsend 5-1. I believe Fabrice Martin started in that mixed doubles and then got pulled eventually. Coach uh, Craig Carden trying to get a hold for the freedoms and so difficult to come off the bench in a substitution. No warm-up, even if you have already played on the day. Uh, That didn't work out for him now. Uh, you know, for the freedoms in women's doubles, and that's been a sneakily good flight for them. Dalahide and Townsend did get the win, but ultimately in men's singles, Jack Sock able to hold off Taylor Fritz 5-4, clinch the match for the Empire 22-18. They knock off the freedoms. Uh, it feels like it's going to be six lifetimes from now, but eventually you talk about the 2021 uh, World Team Tennis uh, season and, you know, World Team Tennis sponsored by DraftKings here at Cracked Records. We also happen to be sponsored by DraftKings. I say the Philadelphia Freedoms enter the 2021 season, assuming they get everyone back, probably minus 300 favorites to win the title. Too high, too low, or about right to you? Because I think they're just, you know, maybe one men's doubles player away. You know, I don't know what that means, uh, the numbers, but, <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, they've they've been a little bit like, my my San Diego Chargers were with Mar- Marty Schottenheimer, like fantastic in the regular season. 
and then just just falling a little short when it comes to the playoffs. <laughs> um, Number one seed the last three years, right? Yeah, yeah. They've had the best. They've they've won the regular season, um, you know, three years running, and just for whatever reason, the playoffs not working out. Uh, so yeah, I, I think if they can keep that core together with with Taylor Fritz and Sonia Kennan and especially like Taylor Townsend, Carolyn Dahlheide, that team's just going to get better. Obviously. Taylor can contribute in the singles as well. Uh, Taylor Townsend, and yeah, in the men's, I think you got to reevaluate the men's doubles a little bit. Uh, I think you get one more men's doubles stud and another person who's a little versatile, like that can play both singles and doubles. Sort of someone who can spell Taylor Fritz. Uh, you know, I think that's a great team right there. I hate to say it, I think they got to trade off one of Dalahide or Townsend, and I know that's a big ass Townsend, a former World Team Tennis MVP. There's a lot of attachment between her and this Freedoms franchise. And again, what a great conversation we're having! Isn't this delightful to talk about yeah, it, tennis awesome. in this way? But uh, you know, for Taylor Townsend um, or Dalahide, that's probably you have to give it up for a men's doubles player because, with all due respect to Fabrice Martin, and you look at uh, him on the season for Fabrice Martin. And in terms of men's doubles, I believe the Freedom's pretty close to the top of the league. They were at uh, number four overall as a team. Fabrice Martin on the season, you look at his spread, he was plus one and a half or maybe a little bit better than that. So not too bad. But yeah, they just need a little bit more depth. I, I love Taylor Fritz, not the most natural doubles player in my opinion. That's what they're a player short. And yeah, they've come first, I think, the last three seasons, regular season-wise. Uh, it it's quite clear you have Sophia Kennan, you have Taylor Fritz, you have Taylor Townsend, you know, you have the start of something special. So really good results for them. Ultimately, the Empire move on to uh, the finals where they ended up facing the Chicago Smash, who took it to the Orlando Storm 24-13. And I believe as confident as you were in the New York Empire post-trade on our Monday pod, you were all about the Orlando Storm, all about Tennis Sandgren and Jessica Pegula. Did this one did surprise them, you? did yes. Yeah, I, I, in that same broadcast on Thursday that I picked uh, New York to win the title, I thought it was going to be a New York-Orlando final. And uh, yeah, I liked tennis and I liked Jessica, the way they've been playing. I thought, you know, uh, the biggest thing that I, you know, the biggest area where I, I erred um, you know, Sloan Stevens came to play this weekend. And even though she lost to Jessica on Saturday, I think in a tiebreaker, uh, mm-hmm. I thought Sloan was a big boost to the team and she was a huge boost uh, today as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, and I kind of underestimated their doubles, uh, the men's doubles in particular. Um, but yeah, Chicago played great uh, on Saturday night against Orlando. Yeah. They, they kind of just, they, they took they blew him out of the water. No, if if Jack Sock hadn't played six sets, hadn't gone five and one, the story of the weekend, had they ended up getting over the hump, and the person who I think would have been championship MVP undeniably would have been Brandon Nakashima, who with Rajiv Ram, they take a 5-1 win over the Storm, over Skupski and Sandgren, who I think had been the top. That was enormous. Team. Yeah, through the season, Rajiv Ram, obviously a grand slam champion in doubles but that was an incredible win and then you know it carried over into men's singles where nakashima knocked out sandgren and you know they were up by i think seven games going into men's singles but you know i watched tennis sandgren win in miami down at jc aragoni's exhibition and he won because he was the most talented you know most physically dominant player there i know it's one set no ad scoring up to five but we saw it against jack sock as well when brandon nakashima's 
playing well, his ability to take the ball early, to change direction, to just kind of, it just seems like he's always swinging so freely. Uh, what are your thoughts on the young American? Jeez, he's so good. Uh, he finds a way to be really aggressive without taking a lot of risk, and he gets to do that a lot. Um, he, the, you know, the backhand's bulletproof forehand, you know, can be hit or miss a little bit, but you know, he really held up in the big moments, uh, this weekend. I thought he, you know, he made that, are we talking about both matches or just on Saturday? No, we can get into both. Let's just rock and roll. Yeah. I, I thought, I mean, today, today he made the match of track meet and I think Chicago set the lineup as such to see if Jack Sock could hold up over three straight sets without a break in between. And, uh, you know, I thought maybe Jack might be a little tired, especially those first two sets were really physical and really emotional, which is even more tiring. Um, they were really emotional. Like Jack was getting super fired up. I think he might've just been a little fatigued going to the singles, um, not taking any credit away from Brandon uh, because he played just, you know, he played, he played flawlessly. And that was a huge, uh, a huge boost to, this Chicago squad and uh, you know <laughs> I, I didn't think the match would turn I thought it would get close but I didn't think it would turn which it did and it, you know today the, the this final today was just outstanding yeah, ultimately, again, it was the Smash versus the Empire, and as you mentioned, the Empire came out to a roaring lead, and Coach Jensen gets a lot of love on social media, on tennis, Twitter in particular, because he's a very boisterous man. You know, he is, he's loud, he he's, yeah, he's very energetic, he's the sort of personality you want coaching your team, and yet, Kamal Murray, you know, coached almost a perfect match. He was one point away from coaching the perfect match. He could not have picked his lineup choices better because you come into this match, you look on paper. Yeah, Nakashima and Rom played great, but you have Jack Sock in men's doubles partnered with Neil Skupski. There's a reason they've been as good as they have. You know, you never bet against Jack Sock in men's doubles. Same thing, Sock, Vandeweghe, even against a team as qualified as Rom, Maddox, Sands. That's a toss-up. And then you want more than anything else your women's doubles the best team maybe in any flight over the course of the entire season Maddox Sands and Jeannie Bouchard closing out the lineup and he was right at the finish line and then you think to yourself okay maybe he's out coaching maybe he's too far in his head by making the decision to pull Jeannie to play Sloan and then Sloan gets off to the start she does in that super breaker I mean, it was just a fantastic match from start to finish. And yeah, you you were there. You could see Jack Sock in person. He certainly seemed to be moving well. I think more than anything, Branted Nakashima played great today, more than Jack Sock getting tired that it was his third set. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to take any credit away from Brandon. I thought he played played flawlessly. He played great. Didn't miss. He barely missed balls. And... He did, you know, he didn't give Jack a chance to get into that set at all. He really took the set away as soon as it started. And when someone gets a quick lead like that in these World Team Tennis formats, you know, the set can go by in a hurry. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, Jack Sock, still a fantastic match, 5-1 in one in six sets this weekend. But then we got into the women's portion of the match, and you saw in women's singles, Sloan Stevens gets a break on Coco Vandeweghe early holds on to it to win 5-3. I I feel like every ball Sloan hit, I feel like in particular 
in this singles match is when the nerves started to factor in. Am I wrong here? Maybe I was just nervous as the viewer. I said this to you offhand before we started recording. All I could think during this match was back to our club tennis final, the sort of start we had gotten off to. Uh, women's doubles went great. We won it 6-2. Our women's singles player was down 5-1, ended up coming back and winning in a breaker. Uh it was gorgeous. Um, and then, you know, me and Rothman, of course, bad and lose in men's doubles. And now we're, you know, now everything's a lot tighter. Anyways, I said I'd try and stay away from that. The point being, all I could think about is, oh, the nerves of when it's starting to come down and you're looking at the scoreboard the entire time. Did it feel that way in person? Yes. Uh, I mean, all, we were we were hoping for a match where the ending would be relevant. And when things started to turn, the men's singles, and then with the Sloan and then Coco singles, uh, we were really excited for the finish. I mean, the you know the energy on court, it felt electric at the stadium, and um, you know we we weren't disappointed. Yeah, no, and again, you look at that women's doubles final, uh, it came down, uh, Maddox Sands, Bouchard get broken, and they had fought off, I think, three, four, maybe five break points uh, earlier in the set. They get broken for four, three. Yeah, that was break- crazy, because all those games were so close, and they, they just they kept escaping, and, we're, and we just thought, oh, man, I guess it's not going to happen you know, today. Yeah, Jeannie Bouchard uh, had that one stab over her head where Coco just unleashed an inside-in forehand at her, and Jeannie kind of split the middle with a reaction volley. Oh, man. And, yeah, it was just beautiful. And again, it was a really high level of doubles. And then you got to that first set breaker. Ultimately, the Empire ended up taking it. They get to the coin flip. You hear, or, you know, then they win. I think they hold. And then it was Bethany Max Sands who got broken. And I always say in doubles, you know, the server gets a lot of the credit, but it's the player at the net just as much as it is the server and that was the game they were always least comfortable in uh the smash women's doubles team and you know yeah they get broken it goes to a super breaker there's a coin flip luke jensen screams we're serving like he screamed he was so proud of himself when he screamed it it was very funny to watch um and then you know six all sudden death did you think coco fandaway's forehand was in or out on first glance I thought it was good, but then I saw the reaction of the Chicago team, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then, you know, we all saw the replay, like, the whole place. I mean, we were in, like, one of these tents so in, like, the, like, suite or whatever, and we were all jumping up and down. Like, we and we had been jumping up and down for, like, the last 20 minutes after every point because the shifts in momentum were just enormous. And, the like, the magnitude of some of these shots, like the, like, Jeannie's reaction volley you mentioned, and some of the returns of serve and then Melikar, like when they were up 40 love in that one game and she double faulted and twice. And she gets like, broken. Yeah. Up, it was yeah. four, three, 40 love and she gets broken. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just, it was an incredible finish. Like I thought Sloan played unbelievably in that tiebreaker. She was digging out balls, running, like hitting heavy. She hit a couple of really big, really clutch shots for Chicago um, I actually thought Kim Kleisters might have come in to return on uh, a couple key moments in there, but uh, it, it was just, I thought it was an incredible finish. We, on, you know, that's all happening on CBS, cutting into the golf window, and uh, I mean, doesn't get much better than that, you know? Yeah, no, it's perfect because you segued me right into my next point. A, for the Empire to do all of this to win without Kim Kleisters, that's so incredible, but B, 
it's just so fun to be able to talk about our favorite professional tennis players back on the court competing in this environment. It's clear they enjoyed it as much as any fan possibly could of how intense that breaker was. Uh, all of these teams on the edge of their seats, on the sidelines, cheering in between every point. Uh, it was an incredible environment. And again, we've said this countless times over the past couple of weeks, but so much credit to Carlos Silva, the entire team, uh, for the work they put into making this event happen. Uh, it was awesome to see. And then ultimately, Jack Sock, Coco Vandewey named MVPs of the match. That felt about right. In the end, Coco Vandewey gets traded to the Empire. That roster, you look at the talent they accumulated. My final question, I guess, on this season before we get to the award show, did the right team win, Mark Lucero? I'm going to go with yes, the right team won. <laughs> I agree I, with I you. Thought, yeah, I think any of those four teams could have been, you know, legitimate champions uh, i think the right team won new york uh you know it's, a, it's such a great format for jack sock and you know uh, it would have been great to have a healthy kim kleisters out there that's for sure but yeah uh i'm i'm content with the new york champion i thought it was great yeah they were the only team that could legitimately claim to have a shot to win all five flights in any given match and in the you know being able to have that array of options, of d- different pathways to victory, it paid off in the end. So shout out to the Empire, that entire team, uh, Coach Luke Jensen, to whoever signed off on the trade to get Coco Vandeweghe. That's just good business. You win Executive of the Year. Spoiler alert: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But with that in mind, Mark Lucero, it is time to talk about the subject 28 minutes in that I brought you here for our award show to put a bow on this world team tennis season. Have a little fun. Name our top performers. Maybe talk about the players that we saw succeed here, how that might translate over to the New York bubble we are hoping to see come the end of August. Before we get to any of that, Westoff, can I get an award show sound effect, please? It's going to be interesting to hear what he goes with. You're going to have to actually listen to the pod, Mark, to find (laughs) out what he played. Um, But, yeah, all right, let's start with the obvious ones because, you know, championship MVP, Jack Sock, Coco Vandaway, I think we can all agree on that. Although I would say Brandon Nakashima has a claim to being the most valuable player simply because he turns that entire match from a momentum perspective. But let's start with MVP of the league, men's and women's, and I think you do have to give out an MVP award to both a man and a woman because... Because, again, the five flights, it's so valuable if you're able to play three of the five, what that means for your team, as we saw for Jack Sock, Coco Vandeweghe in crunch time here for the Empire. Let's start with the women's MVP because I think it's a better argument than the men's. And there are a couple of cases I think you can make for a bunch of candidates. Ultimately, I named my top three, but I could have had four people legitimately in this top three with no complaints. I had Bethany Maddox-Sands, Sophia Kennan, Jessica Pagula and Coco Vandeweghe in a tier of their own as the four best women's players in this event. Do you think that's fair? 
Read it off to me again. <laughs> Bethany Maddox Sands. Bethany. Kenan, yeah. Pagula, and Coco. As being in a, in a group all their own. I put, I, I think honest, they were the four best. Okay. Are, are we talking MVP or what? Yeah, women's MVP. Okay, well, you can't pick four. You have to pick one. <laughs> no, I'm saying those were my four candidates for the top three spots. I, I have an order. One, two, three. Like I said, I did way too much research for this. I know I asked you to come up with one. I guess okay. let's start with you then. Give me your women's MVP. I'll let you know where they okay. ended up on my okay. ballot. Okay, I've been trying to get I've been trying to get JP MVP trending on Twitter, but no one's uh, <laughs> no one's been following me. But I go with Jessica Pagula strictly because she played all three events in the vast majority of her team's matches. And without her, I think Orlando uh, finishes in the bottom third of the league. Yeah. Again, you look at what her contributions, I said this to you beforehand, I had a stat for you. She played 284 total games over the course of the season. That's the most of any player in the league by a comfortable margin. I think again, Sock was in second. He played 267. You know, what is that? A 14 game difference, I think. So, uh, 26, no, sorry, a 17 game difference. So that's about three sets more than Sock. I mean, she was plus 15 in her differential overall. That was, I believe, fourth in the league behind the three other players I mentioned, Van Dewey, Kennan, and Maddox Sands. But for Jessica Pagula, it was the fact that she did it at all three flights, right? It was the fact that she wasn't just playing women's singles or women's doubles. She played 104 uh, games of mixed doubles, 54, 54 spread. She played 110 games of women's doubles, 54, 56, and then, of course, a 45, 24, plus 21 spread in games played. Like I said, I went deep here on my spreadsheet uh, to come up with it yeah if you talk about you know simply put most valuable to your team she played almost every rep uh, of women's anything for the Orlando Storm that's valuable in a nutshell so I I don't see anything wrong with that argument I will say this though as we were doing this beforehand I was you know because all of these candidates have a good claim I said I had to make a switch and I would feel comfortable about it Jessica Pagula was number one on my MVP ballot moved her down to number two plus 15 just not good enough. And I know over 284 games, that's a bigger sample than any other player you're going to talk about on the women's side. And, you know, to be plus 15 over that large of a spread, that's, it shows she was successful. Truthfully, across all three flights, she was able to keep things close. Her team ends up in third place. But I have to go with the most valuable player of the championship match, the most valuable trade asset. Clearly, the most valuable decision uh, came when the New York Empire acquired Coco Vandeweghe and got her from the San Diego Aviators. But even before then, while with the San Diego Aviators, she was, you know, two. She had only played four games of women's singles. She was minus five in mixed doubles. But her uh, and Nicole Melichar, did I say that correctly? I think I did. Uh, plus twenty-two in women's doubles. She was that successful. Then she goes to the Empire, essentially fills in for Kim Kleisters, plays all three spots. She ends up plus 22 overall in 210 games. She was part of the number one women's doubles team, number one mixed doubles teams in the league. She's my MVP. You know, we talk about it all the time. To be able to have options in women's singles, women's doubles, mixed doubles. Yes, Jessica Pagul that provided uh, provided that as well. She took her team from average to good. You know, Coco Vandewe took the New York Empire from good to championship winning. And I just think that's the most valuable player for me. Fair enough. I respect it. 
Yeah, that's a good enough spread. I, I have more numbers if you want them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, I buy it. I don't agree with it, but I buy it. <laughs> well, if you're going to stick with the metrics, the player you probably have to go with is the actual player who won, and that's Bethany Maddox-Sands, who was third on my ballot. Bethany Maddox-Sands plus 32 in 191 games. She played every rep of women's doubles, probably would have played every rep of mixed doubles if needed. She was plus 21 in women's doubles, again, plus 11 in mixed, plus 32 overall in 191 games. But for me, it, there's a 200 club that you have to be a part of to get serious consideration because if you are extremely valuable to your team, if you are able to play all three flights, you're playing 200 plus games. She didn't play any singles, uh, and you know part of that is because they have Sloane and Jeannie on the roster. But slight knock for her there. Good case, she ends up third. Could have made the case for Sophia Kennan, who was simply put just the best player probably in this event. She's plus 23 overall, but she gets knocked because she only played 151 total games. Uh, but yeah, those were the four to me who stood out. You want to make a case for you know Kim Kleisters when she played. She was the most valuable. I'll listen to it, but she's off my ballot. Katie McNally, just because she played so many games over the course of this year, was so valuable to her Springfield team. But yeah, that's my women's MVP. I go Vandaway 1, Pegula 2, Bethany Maddox, Sands 3. Any final thoughts in that category? Are you ready to get into the men's? Wait, did you just say Katie McNally? Katie McNally's an honorable mention. Okay. <laughs> you don't like that? I just well, think you, you talk about valuable. Won, I mean, you know, she, I guess so she's many like the, reps. She gets like the, she gets like the Cal Ripken Award for playing every game. But <laughs> uh, you know, see if you would have texted me that before the show, like I asked when I said, "Hey, give me the fun cat." If you'd have said, "Hey, give me a Cal Ripken Award winner," it would have been Katie McNally. So we'll add that to the list. I'm down the for Iron that. Iron Man. The who, yeah. who played the who's played the most games? Actually, uh, Jess played more games than her. It was, yeah, um, it, it was Jessica Pegula was the Cal Ripken Award winner, but the difference is the Orioles usually sucked, the Storm did not <laughs> suck, the Springfield Lasers, I love you Mitchell Kruger, I love everyone in Springfield, they didn't, they were not good this year. So I think, you know, Katie McNally deserves an award, like I said, if the Lou Williams Award is going to Danielle Collins, the Cal Ripken Award is going to Katie McNally. I think enough. we can, yeah, we can agree on that, but alright, men's MVP, for me, this was a little bit of an easier category, came down to three guys, pretty clear top three. The question is, what order do you have them in, Mark Lucero? Taylor Fritz, Tennis Sandgren, Jack Sock is who I imagine this came down for for you. Who is your men's MVP? You know, in my voting, we voted after the regular season. I voted for Taylor Fritz simply because he was so dominant in singles. Uh, The thing is, Jack Sock played about 100 more games than him during the regular season, and his winning percentage was very close so, you know, I, I would be content with either Fritz or Sock in the MVP. So, again, I'm, I'm a little irked by this inconsistency. More irked by the fact, I, I love you, Carlos Silva. You came back on the pod. We broke bread last week, and you know I'm actually fond of you. Did he ask why. you if you were going to run the league during a pandemic or what? He didn't ask me. He handed <laughs> off uh, He handed off responsibilities. You're welcome for this weekend. Uh, why? Do you, it was rigged to perfection, was it not? Six all? That is my brainchild to a T. Um, but no, it, it's just you talk about, you know, if you're doing the single flight dominance, Bethany Maddox-Sands probably is your pick for the men's as well. And, you know, again, Bethany Maddox-Sands, the actual 
actual winner of the women's MVP. Taylor Fritz ended up being the winner of the men's MVP. By the way, the end of that last rant was to say, can I get an MVP vote, please? Uh, like, uh, that's all I've ever wanted, just an MVP vote for something. I voted myself MVP of the league like 12 years in a row. I want to vote for someone not. Anyways, again, tangent for another time. Men's MVP, um, Fritz, Sandgren, Sock, you look at the numbers, Fritz plus 28 in 180 overall games. Uh, that was the highest net rating for any player. Uh, right behind him was Jack Sock plus 23 in 267 games, uh, much like Jessica Pegula for the Storm. Again, it was a two-headed monster, a two-headed storm, I suppose, uh, as Tennis Sandgren, the other half, uh, plus 16 overall in 252 total games played. Uh, my MVP ballot went Sock 1, Sandgren 2, Fritz 3, because I'm just going to stay consistent. I talk about valuing the ability to play all three flights. Taylor Fritz played doubles in a pinch, you know, occasionally for the Philadelphia Freedoms, but we saw in that semifinal, they started out with Fabrice Martin and Taylor Townsend, and it wasn't Taylor Fritz playing. For the Storm, for the Empire, it was always Sandgren or Sock. They were just that much more valuable to their teams, and Sock just, again, 267 games plus 23. He was the best player over playoffs weekend. I know you had to fill out the ballot before then. He's my men's MVP. Any qualms with that? No, no. I, I could be persuaded to fall in line. All right. You want JS for MVP and then JP yeah, for I go, MVP? I go JS. I go JS and JP. I've said this before. You know, Jack Sack's the only, well, him and Riley Opelka, the only two players to ever block me on Twitter. <laughs> he, probably, he probably deserved it. Oh, I, I was for sure a throwaway joke, too. It was something that wasn't worth saying, but I was just like, should I squeeze it in? Yeah, I'll squeeze it in. And then obviously it was a mistake. They have both since unblocked me. Anyways, honorable mentions for me, Brandon Nakashima, uh, who was so exceptional this weekend and whose performance in singles did enough for the Smash to let their women's doubles and mixed doubles sort of carry the way for them. Uh, you know, Neil Skupski was really good in men doubles as well. Also just want to throw a slight vote for Ryan Loco, who gets more love on tennis Twitter than maybe anyone else out there. And his photos are outstanding, uh, but clearly he did enough to be in MVP consideration. I I would put Ryan Loco and DJ Danny in MVP consideration. I thought uh, Ryan's photos were outstanding. I don't think tennis has ever been shot that way. I think they're incredible. Uh, and DJ Danny kept the tunes pumping from morning till night, no drop off, and I even worked a couple of the songs into my broadcasts. Uh, so yeah, I give. A, I think those guys came up huge. Yeah, no. Uh, again, it's the entire production that went so well. It's what made the season so enjoyable. Uh, I imagine when they're able to have full crowds, full fan-filled sta- stadiums once again, that hopefully they will, uh, because certainly it feels like this World Team Tennis season captured the attention of tennis fans, and part of that's just given what's going on in the world, but captured it in ways that it hasn't in the past. Uh, but yeah, so that's the men's MVP. By the way, I feel like the nuclear bunker, maybe slight honorable mention, certainly hole six for all the balls it took in the water gets an honorable mention or at least from what I've heard you know I've heard you hit a couple that way as well I heard it always leans a little left for you uh you know I actually uh yeah I, yeah you're right I, I, <laughs> wherever wherever there's a, some sort of hazard my shots off a tee seem to find it so <laughs> 
go. Okay, we can leave that there. Let's go through the next categories, and we can go through a little bit quicker here. Again, I asked you first and second all-world team tennis lineups, women's singles, women's doubles, men's singles, men's doubles, mixed doubles, teams, individual flights. If you're crafting your ideal lineup out of everything we saw, what does your team look like? Let's start with women's singles. First team, second team. Who'd you go with? Well, I'm just going. I'm going to give you my. Uh, I'm going to go my my first team all league and then second team all league. I'm okay, going... let's go first team. Okay, women single. All right, just all the way through. I like it. Yeah, yeah. First team uh, all league. I'm going Pegula, Kleisters, Maddox, Sands. That Pegula, Kleisters, Maddox, Sands. This is for just first team. This that's who yeah, you're playing. This, this, yeah, it's for who I'm playing. I you know. I have Kleisters and Pagula can play singles, either one, and then whichever one doesn't play singles, that one plays doubles with Bethany. Oh, that's a criminal mistake, and it's okay. Again, that's why you're in the booth. That's why I'm in contention for the 10th team's GM job. But um, no, <laughs> I think I think Sophia Kennan's the obvious pick for women's singles. I mean, yes, she lost to Kim Kleisters, but for, for Sophia Kennan, she played, I mean, you know, Jessica Pagula played a ton of singles matches Just as well. Just both of them. Yeah, that's true. But so did Kennan. Kennan also beat Pegula, right? So it was an either-or. I just think Sophia Kennan was the best player in all of the matches I saw. And yeah, there were a lot of, you know, she lost to Coco 1, I suppose. Um, you know what? You're making a lot of sense. You're, you're just, rising just, on the power. Just won, just won her matches down the stretch when it really counted. Uh, so Kennan did not. See, I went... Kennan for women's singles. I went Bouchard, Maddox Sands for women's doubles. And then I went Sock, Vandeweghe for mixed doubles. That way I get to keep Coco Vandeweghe and potentially, I suppose, in that theory, have her play singles if needed in a pinch. But it hurts not to have Jessica Pegula on my first team. She's certainly second team women's singles, I think. Uh, no, I don't think she's second team uh, mixed doubles. I think that went to Rajiv Ram and Bethany maddox Sands. But my first team, Sophia Kennan women's singles. For men's singles, I went Taylor Fritz. Again, the freedoms were carried by their singles to not have them represented in some way in my awards. Just didn't feel right. So those are my two singles flights. I went Bouchard maddox Sands in women's doubles just barely over uh, Vandeweghe and Melishar although that's an either or uh you know i think we saw today who the better team was i suppose uh so maybe i'm making a mistake there anyways men's doubles was really tough because all of those matches are always toss-ups you look at the uh the results for men's doubles you know the orlando storm were number one in the league but just barely over the empire team and I think Jack Sock has to be on the first team somewhere. So I'm going to take Sock and Skupski as my first team doubles. Mixed doubles again. Sock, Vandeweghe as well. I'm feeling pretty good about my first team. Yeah, my first my first team all men's was same as yours. Fritz, Skupski, and Sock. Yeah, I think that's got to be the pick, right? Because in a pinch, Sock can fill in in doubles, and you've got your doubles team. You're good to go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So completely agree with you there. All right. Second team. Any players who come close to maybe to your second team who you left off? Uh, yeah, close to second team, but it would be honorable mention. Would be uh, I would go Nakashima. I would go um, Melikar, and I would also go Jennifer Brady. I agree. Jennifer Brady, sneaky good. She is another nominee alongside of Katie McNally for the Cal Ripken Award. She turned it around after a slow start. After she decided it was time to go up a couple pounds in tension, she uh, she played pretty well. Mm-hmm. No, completely. I would, also, I would also put Ken Skupski as a honorable mention for me also. Yeah, all right. Well, then give me the second team. 
Okay, my second team. I have Tennis Sangren, Rajiv Ram, Fabrice Martin, and then I have Sonia Kennan, Coco Vandeweghe, Eugenie Bouchard. Yeah, I mean, again, those are all pretty good names for me in terms of uh, my women's. I have Pagula at the women's singles. I have Vandeweghe. Is it Melikar? It is Melikar. I I go Melikar, yeah. Okay, I don't, know. I don't I, you know, I've never heard her pronounce it either way. But yeah, <laughs> the only way is to get her on the pod. Uh, so Nicole, come on here, and we can clarify it, please. But yeah, I, I have her and Coco as my second team women's doubles. Uh, I, I think I can do that. It, yeah, it's on the ballot. Uh, it's my ballot. Yes, I can do what I want. Um, and then for mixed doubles, my second team, I'm going with Rom and Bethany Maddox Sands. Uh, in terms of for my men's position, I think the toughest one here is men's singles. Do you go Nakashima? Do you go Sand? Grant, do you go sock? I do feel like the Storm, much like the Freedoms, need that double representation on a team somewhere. So I'm going to have Sandgren as my second team in singles. I mean, men's doubles is a toss-up, right? Sock Skupski is the number one team. You look at the number two team, there was really no standout. Yeah, the Freedoms, Fabrice Martin was pretty good. You know, uh, I guess Sandgren was pretty good with uh, which Skupski was on Orlando. Was it Ken or Neil? Ken, Ken, Ken. Yeah, right? Ken was on Orlando. You know, the Bryan brothers were pretty solid in the end as well. Probably have to go with Sandgren Skupski as my second team world team. Give Sandgren that double knock there. I think it speaks to how good Coco and Melishar, Melikar, and Genie BMS were that they're the top two teams pretty definitively. But I feel good. I got Pagula in at women's singles. Again, those are the players I think when you look at it. Sandgren, Sock, Fritz, Pagula, Coco, Melikar. Um, who am I missing? Bethany Maddox, Sands, Genie, Kennan that define this world team tennis season. Yeah, I think we have essentially the same players just spread around a little differently, but yeah. Yeah, no, mine more efficiently than yours for sure. I agree. <laughs> okay. Well said. Yeah. Um, no, all right. Well, then with those in mind, those are the all teams. And again, you start to look at some of these players. You look at the level. I feel like they are heading into a pr- uh, playing a pretty high level of tennis these past three weeks. I feel like this is the level we can expect to see come New York. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited. You know, I think these players – like we've said before, they're going to come in with a, a lot of competitive reps under their belts and assuming everyone stays healthy. Um, you know, I, I think they could all do damage in New York. Yeah, no, completely agree with you there. Well, then, uh, again, with that in mind, some fun ones, and then we'll wrap this one up. Coach slash right. executive of the year. Yeah, <laughs> I said to Mark beforehand, I said to Coach, excuse me, uh, to just stop laughing at my jokes, and that'll be the cue when to wrap things up. <laughs> I'm noted. Don't worry. I noticed. Um, but anyways, executive of the year. I mean, Carlos Silva is not a team executive, but he probably wins in this category. But it's got to be whoever at the Empire was like, what if we call the Aviators? Just hear me out. Just hear me out no 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 luke luke just hear me out what if we call the aviators and ask for coco vandaway and then you know luke jensen came in is what if we get melicar too and they were like brilliant let's ask yeah you know it's like the end of the season your team's not doing okay you're not doing well and maybe you need to clear a little salary you know i've seen teams do that in other leagues uh so yeah i mean i think that was a great that, that was obviously that was, a, that was a huge trade and that changed the course of the empire season 
100%. No, it's, it's like how Atlanta like accepted Carmelo Anthony and just gave the Thunder Dennis Schroeder. And it's like now the Thunder are looking dangerous in the playoffs. It just made, you know, for Atlanta, you're like, what are you doing, Atlanta? You don't need Carmelo. Uh, and so ultimately, yes, I agree. I think it's got to go to the New York Empire. Best teammate, you know, hype man, hype woman on the benches. You were there the entire three weeks. From my perspective on the sidelines, you know, a lot of Evan King dancing. Plus, he's a fellow Wolverine, so he's my obvious choice your pick mark lucero for this category yeah evan king you know i shot him out on tv uh you know leaf my man leaf uh just he's like hey like evan king's dancing i was like leaf he's hitting him with the soldier boy um <laughs> so yeah i go i go big evan king vote right there for me yeah, I think that's an obvious one, but everyone was so good. I mean, this ca- there are a lot of nominees you could go for in this category. Taylor Townsend with the towel. Um, you know, I, I think it was so cool seeing literally everybody, uh, except maybe a couple people, but everybody out there in the back corners of the court shagging balls and just pumping up their teammates. It was freaking awesome. Yeah, no, Ryan Harrison's always great. I mean, you can go on and on down the list. Uh, Skupski is great for New York as well. He's always there on the sidelines smiling, it seems like. Uh, there are a lot of good nominees for this award, and again, it speaks to the energy on the grounds. All right, best beer chug. It's got to go to Tennis Sandgren, right? <laughs> got to go to Tennis Sandgren. Um, you know, get, slamming that beer after he won that singles. Uh, on national t- national television it doesn't get much better than that no absolutely big win to him best substitution in your mind uh chicago kamal murray when gina bouchard went in against daniel collins uh down one three um uh, pulled out sloan put in genie and genie came back and won uh five four yeah after that was... and he, that was daniel would... collins last set yeah, he was also one point away from Sloan Stevens subbing in being the smartest decision, maybe in world team tennis history. So coach of the year, would you go Kamal Murray or would you go with Luke Jensen? I'm going to go Kamal Murray because yeah. I think he was able to keep a lot of different personalities happy and engaged. No, I completely agree. Plus, new team, everyone new to the lineup, how it works. He found combinations. He got the most yeah, out of 100%. his lineup. Yeah, 100%. He's looking for different combinations. You know, he Brandon Nakashima was looking a little tired in the middle of the season. He, you know, let him uh, get a little extra rest. He put Evan King in some doubles matches. Brandon got his legs back and was strong down the you know, down the stretch. So, yeah. Yeah, no, completely agree with you. Well, then last two, uh, one serious one, one fun one. Again, DraftKings, friend of uh, our friends at World Team Tennis, friends of us here at Cracked Rackets. Likelihood World Team Tennis incorporates the all teams at one facility format in the future. I think it's for sure that they will find a way to do this more frequently because having the nine teams in one location felt like a major bonus. You know, again, I I won't give you odds because I know you won't understand them, but do you think that's (laughs) That's a takeaway from this, that they should do that more frequently. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great idea. I, I think, you know, maybe there's some sort of hybrid uh, way of doing it mm-hmm. with uh, maybe regional uh, sort of pods or something. And, you know, I, like we've all sort of uh, ruminated, like there's ways to package it and do all kinds of different things, make it a destination for families and whatever. But, yeah, I, I think it, it makes for better tennis. It makes for happier players. And I think it's something, it's a really cool byproduct. You know, it's a really cool way of, you know, this pandemic being sort of turned into, um, you know, forcing some, forcing a new way of thinking and maybe and experimenting with a new idea that could be something really good. So, yeah, I think there's a good 
likelihood there's a strong likelihood that it'll be something we see again yeah 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 no i i completely agree with you i would say first two weeks do it normally because of course you want to incorporate as many cities as possible but for the playoff stretch for the playoffs one city one location final week all eyes on that facility i there's definitely a way to incorporate it something to think about moving forward all right my last one to you speaking about thinking and moving forward 2021 world team tennis draft you, it, you know, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, I, I, I won't say never because then Carlos Silva will get mad at me again on Twitter. Um, but assuming that caliber of player probably not playing 2021, who do you think is the most likely to be number one overall pick 2021 World Team Tennis Draft? I feel like it's got to be Coco Goff. As soon as someone convinces her to play, you know, and she's out there, you know, um, everyone's going to bid. Yeah, I, you know, who wouldn't want someone like Coco Goff on your team? Like, uh, obviously a great player, big results in singles and in doubles. And, uh, you know, she brings in fans. She puts butts in seats. If you have been to a tournament where she's made a run in doubles, uh, you've seen packed stadiums to watch doubles, which is not the most common thing you'll see on tour. Uh I think it's also one of the best things about World Team Tennis that it puts the spotlight on doubles and mixed doubles, and uh, it brings visibility to players that might not normally get it at tour events. Um, so yeah, I would like someone like her. I'm trying to think who else might be good candidates. I'm trying to think of maybe other doubles players that might not uh, have played this year, but. Um, you know, yeah, I, no, I, I, think, I think young Americans are always good bets too. The Anissa Movas of the world. It's just a, it's a figure, right? If it's that, can they hit that number? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good, that's a great prediction. Yeah. Um, no, all good names. I think someone along that lines. I'm just, you know, you talk about the young, um, I suppose, male candidates across the globe. I just don't think any of the next gen guys are going, you know, Tommy Paul's of the world. Maybe a Riley Opelka on the men's side, getting him to lock in for the season. Uh, that would be a cool thing as well. But yeah, no, certainly, again, final takeaways as we look back on this world team tennis season. I would say... I'm going to say 93 and a half. I'm going to dock them a half point for the Danielle Collins shenanigans, but a, certainly a solid A in my book. What say you, Mark Lucero? Uh, I add points because I Ooh, think— true, true, true. But that was before the curve, by the way. I'm saying raw score. <laughs> raw score. Well, <laughs> I to be honest, I think— um... You know, I think it's good for the league and for transparency to have had some sort of incident, you know, where they could sort of enact uh, protocols that were there for the players, you know, safety. Um, I, you know, for me, I, did I give it a, you know, I give it a hundred, man. I don't know what <laughs> else could have been better. No, you know, obviously I'm here and I'm a part of it, um, but for us not having had anything really to do over the last few months, like that actually meant something. Um, it was great to, you know, it was great to have a venue for the players to compete for me to, you know, be at a tournament working with, you know, a player. And obviously, you know, I was here to do television, um, but to have real tennis, man, it was freaking awesome. And no one, you know, no one, uh, we didn't have any meltdowns in the middle of the season. We didn't have to shut the season down. Um, we were in a great place in a beautiful part of the country and there are plenty of activities and dude, I give it, you know, I get it a across the board, man. Yeah. I, the reason I don't want to give it an a hundred is a, 
I would have liked a little more trades. I would have liked a little more free agency action. I know that's difficult in the midst of a pandemic to, you know, that Alia Tomjanovic was able to come in and play the match as she was is enough of a coup. Um, and yeah, but I just would have liked more trades. There were teams that could have made moves, right? The Castles were not that far away from the playoffs. The Vegas Rollers, like, I, I mean, just the gap was obvious. You need a win. Like, that Coco Vandway didn't end up on the Vegas Rollers is why the Bryans didn't end up in the playoffs. And that there yeah, was a right. trade to there was a trade to be had there and again I, it's just that I don't want this season because no event is perfect and I think world team tennis can become even better and I, I just as much as I enjoyed this season uh, again that's why solid A across the board I agree with you but that's why it's not quite in a hundred for me because milk world ten, team tennis for all it's worth right you have free agency you have trades you have drafts I know All Star Weekend feels like a year ago and maybe it would have been easier to keep that in mind if you know we weren't in the midst of COVID-19 but just finding a way to better integrate everything I think that's where world team tennis can become that perfect sort of team tennis option tennis fans are looking for I gotcha well yeah. <laughs> I so, stick with my grade yeah so sorry again before the curve 93 and a half that ends up at a 96 you can call mom tell her you got an A so that is a win <laughs> for sure um, and of course a big win for all of us Cracked Rackets fans here has been the opportunity to get to chat with you coach over these past three weeks recap all of the world team tennis action so thank you to you uh, for sticking around chatting with me any final thoughts are you ready to stop laughing at my jokes <laughs> dude no my pleasure I mean it's great to have uh, you know, it's great to have tennis media talking about tennis. And there were, you know, it was so cool to say after the match to see a bunch of different reporters talking about the match and talking about the tennis and, um, you know, just uh, you know, covering it and acknowledging it. And, and I, you know, I think it's great. What is the first meal you will order upon returning to LA? Uh, breakfast burrito at uh, North End. Stevie J and I are already talking about it. We're going to stay there. <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to end. As everyone knows, you are a noted burrito critic as well. So, <laughs> Coach Mark Lucero, thank you as I always. Look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Tennis Channel contributor, Cracked Rackets returning champion, Mark Lucero. Of course, a huge thank you to him one more time for taking the op- or taking uh, so much time out of his day to chat with us over the past couple of weeks. Always great to get him on the podcast. And of course, he knows he is always invited back on the show. So hopefully we'll get the chance to chat with him again soon. Uh, but folks, some really exciting news this week for all of us as professional tennis is making its official sanctioned return with the first WTA event since quarantine began, since Indian Wells cancellation happening this week in Palermo. Westoff, give me some celebratory music, please, to celebrate the occasion. We are really excited to covering that event once again, and of course, we will cover all of each uh, all of the day's best matches, the best action to get in on day in and day out on our GSP Ace of the Day segment, which all of you fans can listen to on the Great Shot podcast feed. Really looking forward to that. Uh, of course, there are still going to be other exhibition events going on across the globe. Of course, there will be other storylines for us to discuss, things such as Ultimate Tennis Showdown 2, the protocols being put in place to ensure the safety and health of all the players participating in that three-week bubble in New York, Western, and Southern, 
and then the U.S. Open. Of course, we're going to talk about all of the players, what they're saying, which players, you know, we learned this weekend, Nick Kyrgios opting out of the U.S. Open, so many other players as well making that same sort of decision. We'll talk about that, have great guests on, of course. If you haven't listened to the conversations we've had with so many players facing this decision, the ones we got to speak with when we were down in Nicholasville for the Young Kings Scholarship Tennis Exhibition or down in Miami for the Altic Steislinger Tennis Exhibition, you can go listen to those conversations on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, you can find them, see the video, watch those interviews in person on our YouTube channel as well. The reason you're able to do all of that, the incredible work of our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who as always have a f*** of an editing job to do and continue to do a spectacular job. But folks, we're rocking and rolling here at Cracked Rackets. Be ready for articles. Be ready for videos. Be ready, of course, for our podcasts and more as we all gear up for professional tennis's return. And of course, the reason we are able to do all of that, uh, because we are so grateful for the support we get from our Patreon subscribers uh, who offer us support, again, through four months, five months of no professional sanctioned events. And now, of course, we're so excited for professional tennis to come back so we can get back to doing all the fun things we love to do. Uh, But of course, also another huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Uh, Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. A huge shout out to our friends at Aerobar. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code Cracked15. Again, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcasts as well. A huge thank you to all of you who do that already, who take the time to interact with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. I'm at Great Shot Pod. We love hearing whether it be your feedback, your, you know, so many of you, so much positive reinforcement, but we like the constructive criticism as well. So don't feel uh, the need to hold back. We're grownups. We can take it, folks. So, uh, But with all of that in mind, for our wonderful guest, Mark Lucero, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at both Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.